Hi, and welcome to the Burning Ones podcast. Our desire is to see people all around the world burn for one name, Jesus. We pray that you experience the love and power of Him through this journey. Thank you for joining us, and may burning witnesses arise. So we were together last Tuesday this way. And as we were together last Tuesday this way, we looked into Psalm 69 on what was the eve of the fast. Uh, The eve of the fast, meaning the day before. And as we considered it being the day before, there were certain things that we looked at just in an attempt to frame in the right perspective to really maximize the days that we're jumping into. Right? We don't just want to do it. We're not just trying to grind through it. I'm not just trying to motor my way through or power or struggle my way through. Um, for what? To say that I accomplished a fast, to tell people that I did 40 days um, so that I can look more popular or powerful. Who actually cares? I'm not interested in just getting it done. But I do understand that there's a lot that the Lord is longing to get done in me. As the invitation has come knocking on the doorstep of my heart to participate, to give all of myself into the experience of these 40 days. And there's something that we say culturally, like in our team, um, is that we don't, we don't get any mulligans, right? You understand a mulligan would be a golf term. It's where you get to swing again. You get a do-over, uh, you know, but we understand that on this side of life, meaning in this age, because all of our lives, regardless of what time period we lived in, we have what is called now. And the moment that we're living in that would be considered or that would be determined, deemed now, is the moment in time that you and I have been given to be faithful to the Lord. It's the moment that we've been given to be faithful to his purposes. It's the moment that we have, like David is referenced in Acts, as a man who fulfilled the will of God in his generation. We have right now, We've said it many times when the Lord considered 2021 and for whatever of those years that you may be given to live, 2022, 2030, um, 2002, 1985, uh, whatever that may be, whatever that number, um, the Lord was very specific about planting you in that moment. And so this is our moment. And as we consider journeying together for 40 days, We want to maximize the experience. We want to make the most of every day. Um, And at times, uh, that's difficult because of um, the perception of suffering that we go through in our flesh. Um, As we deny ourselves certain rights that we feel like we have, as we surrender certain entitlements to the Lord, and really as we turn over in the most basic and fundamental way, one of the most basic human appetites that we have, and I say most basic because there are a variety of appetites um, that we have inherently. Um, There are a variety of cravings, lusts, longings that we have, things that we as natural, human, fleshly, carnal beings, creatures, There are a variety of appetites that as creatures we have. And one of the most fundamental uh, is for food, right? Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Father. So we understand that there's, there's something really beautiful and powerful about subjecting even the most seemingly basic 
appetite that we have. That is our desire to be satisfied with food, with the sustenance of life, um, that we would deny what is this natural hunger to seek an aggressive awakening of a spiritual hunger, uh, right? It, it's, it's the contradiction seeming um, of kingdom life because as we've referenced, as we were leaning in and it was days and weeks coming in towards the fast, um, in a natural sense, the more you eat, uh, the more full you become, the less prone you are to desire more. It's just, it's the way that it goes, right? You ever get like super stuffed and then be like, bro, I don't even want to see food. I don't want to smell food. Like, don't bring nothing around me. Nothing doesn't even sound good right now. Like, I've, I've had enough. I've reached my limit, right? Sometimes we're over our limit, right? We've stepped over. We've taken several steps over the boundaries, the capacities, bro. Like, we are just, we're, we're stuffed. We're full. I've had all that I can have. Well, well that's in a natural sense. Uh, but we realize uh, that in a spiritual sense, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. And a touch and a taste seems to awaken more desire rather than seeming to diminish the desire that we have. It doesn't decrease, it increases. Uh, the more we eat, the more increased our hunger seems to be. Um, and so we want to make the most of these days. And part of that is having the right frame and coming in in an intentional way and not just trying to loosely, casually, um, again, like I said, power through 40 days, um, but to live each day. And again, there's grace. And the reason I say there's grace is because we don't want to live with some sense of guilt or shame that like, man, I missed it for two, three days. Man, I got so preoccupied. Man, I was given over to other things. Man, I didn't really feel like I did what I was supposed to do. All, all of that is okay. All of that is all right. Right? All of that is all right. There's grace to grow. There's grace to come up higher. There's grace to get better. And that's what I mean. We just don't want to do it, but we want to do it well. And we want to get better with each opportunity that we have. And the reason I say it's an opportunity is because we're never guaranteed another opportunity to have another go at this. Um, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. So I understand that there's something special about today, right? The decisions that I make today, the focus that I live with today, the sense of intentionality and alignment that I am longing for and leaning into today, uh, right? It's been said, we are not the things that we think about doing. We are the things that we repeatedly do. Um, we have this sense within us at times and this way about us to evaluate our life according to our intentions when we hold everyone else um, accountable to their actions, Right? So we hold everybody else accountable to their actions, but then in the evaluation or the surveying, the judging of our own hearts, we tend to judge our own hearts by our intentions. Uh, but it has been said best, and I already said it, we are not what we think about doing. Um, I believe it was Leonard Ravenhill who said the road to hell is going to be paved with great intentions. Now, and I'm not trying, I mean, although I do believe that, but, but I'm not necessarily trying to uh, create a certain sense of weighty negative tension here. Um, but just to consider that we are not what we intend to do, 
but that we are the consequence or the byproduct of what we repeatedly do. That's, that's what we are. And so at any moment, if we have not had the right history, okay, then we can right here, right now, make a decision. We can make an intentional decision, a resolve on the inside to begin afresh and to begin creating history if we do not like what our history up until this moment has been or if we are not satisfied with what the result of our history has produced. Because again, wisdom is known by her children. So that means in any given moment, you can call whatever you want to wisdom. But then time has a way of evaluating based off of the results, what it is that you said wisdom would produce. And if you do not like the product, then you have to go back to what you said was the recipe and deal with the recipe. You have to deal with the function, the forms. You have to deal with the decisions that you determined in your own heart was wisdom. Because again, right here, right now, we can say whatever we want and call it wisdom. But after I live out what I said was wisdom for one year, five years, 10 years, after that time period, I have to reflect and in my reflection, I have to be honest. And in my honesty, I have to evaluate the consequences or what wisdom is birthing. Wisdom is known by her children. Decisions give birth to consequences. And I have to evaluate those consequences and then at that point make a determination in my heart. Do I still want the same thing that I am getting? And if I do not want, if I do not have a desire to continue living in the outcome of what I said wisdom was and what that wisdom was that gave birth to the outcome or the consequences that I am living in, then at some point, at some point, we have to start making different decisions. Um, at some point, because of the desire for different consequences, and again, we're, we're building something and we're going to reference this in Psalm 69. At some point, we have to begin building different um, in our own life and then with, with anything and everything that we're accountable for. In any sphere where I am responsible, I am responsible for the decisions that are made and the consequences that are being birthed out of those decisions. Um, I, I am responsible and I want to be a good steward. And this is what I see when we look into Psalm 69. And, I, and I'm going to turn there quickly. Because we looked at Psalm 69 last week. Uh, and though there are, there are many verses in Psalm 69. As a matter of fact, there's 36 of them. We didn't look at all 36. But we began in verse 1. And we just read down. Um, I believe it was through verse 13. And we looked at a specific section in Psalm 69 and came to the conclusion that David's life had been overtaken by what God did in him. That David was a man who had been undone in the presence of God. And now based off of that experience in God's presence, 
It ruined him forever. Forever. Um, There was no going back. Um, There was no satisfying all of the demands, the agendas, the the different attractive pulls um, from and of the world. Um, Those things had been put aside. Right now, and again, David wasn't a man who was perfect, and we understand that. He he wasn't living in a place of perfection, um, but he was living in a place of subjection, where his life had been brought subject to God and God's agenda. He knew what the Lord was after. David saw something in the place of presence that he gave his life to. David experienced something in the presence of God that killed the craving, so to speak, for all of the other things that he could have used his life in order to accomplish or satisfy. David was undone. David was a man that was ruined. And he's communicating out of the consequences of having been ruined for everything else in the presence of God. Man, have you had an experience? Has there been an encounter in the presence of God where what you've seen, what you've touched, what you've tasted has ruined you for anything and everything else? Uh, This is where David was living. And David was paying the price, and we went through that a little bit last week out of Psalm 69. Because he communicates the reproach, he communicates the burden, he communicates the consequences. And he, and he tracks that way in very specific things that are pressing on him because of what it is that he's now carrying, what it is that he desires to see God do in his generation, what it is that he is giving his life to see built for God in his hour of history. David is going all in. He's given himself to what God was doing and there's no turning back. There's no turning back. And in that, he communicates and he says certain things. Um, But as we come down to verse number seven, we'll, we'll look at it one more time. He says, because for your sake, I bear this. For your sake, I bear this burden. For your sake, it's for you. Right? David was clear. It's for you. David had a singular jealousy. Right? A, a singular pursuit. There was something that was the main thing in David's life. We know that because he communicates it in Psalm 27. This one thing I ask, and this is what I'm going to seek. I want to be in your house. I want to learn how to see your face. I want to behold you in the beauty and in the splendor of who you are. And then I want to live the rest of my life out of or from this place of consistent beholding. There was one thing that was primary to David, and it was the presence of God. It was beholding the beauty of the Lord. It was gazing and gazing deeply into the face of Jesus. And this one thing had become primary. 
It had become central to a way of life that David now knew. David desired to live his life out of a place of beholding the Lord. The presence of God had become everything to David, and he was not going to live a day without it. The presence of God had become everything to him. And because it mattered, he made it matter. David is also a man who brought the ark to Jerusalem. Because again, the presence of God mattered. And because the presence of God mattered, David, when he became king, because last week we contrasted a little bit, just briefly, not, not in any great depth or detail, but we contrasted briefly the lives of two kings. We had Saul and we had David. And in 1 Chronicles 13, I believe it's verse 3, David says after he comes into a place of power, prominence, platform, authority, David is now king. He's been anointed more than a decade ago, but he's now standing in the place of fulfillment. He is living in the days that have been prophesied about him. He has actually stepped into what it is that God spoke over him. And he's living in a public forum things that God decreed over him in private places. And when David steps onto a national place of power, there is something that David begins to look for. And in 1 Chronicles 13, verse 3, David releases this statement. He says, we must bring the ark back because no one was looking for it in the days of Saul. Now, th this statement is just devastating first off. Um, it's just devastating because it is an indictment on the grandest of levels. David says, I've been put in a place of authority now. I'm now responsible for what happens. He says, I'm responsible for what happens. I'm leading. I'm the man that God has entrusted stewardship to. And David recognizes a certain level of accountability before the Lord for things that affect what's happening in a city or regional scope. And David recognizes that there are many responsibilities that come along with that. We get it. David commanded the army. We get it. David did a bunch of things. But when David came into a place of power, there was something that was primary. It was foundational. It was central to David. And David says, we must bring the ark to Jerusalem because nobody was looking for it in the days of Saul. Now, the ark represented the embodiment, if you would, of God's presence. And David says, nobody was looking for God's presence when Saul was ruling. Forty years Saul ruled and nobody went looking for the Ark of the Covenant. Nobody desired to bring the Ark back. Nobody longed to have God's presence central or fundamental to the things that we were doing. All of what we were seeking to establish and to build and to advance, nobody considered God's presence in any of those conversations or outcomes. And David says that may have been the way that we were willing to live for a generation, for 40 years, but that time period has come to an end. 
He says, I'm accountable now. And David brings the ark back, right? Because it's, it's just what we all understand. There's a lot that you can get done without a desire for God's presence. There's a lot that you can make happen. There's a lot that you can advance. There's a lot that you can build. Again, there's a lot that you can do without the presence of God, without any consideration for it. And last week we looked at a man, that being Saul, who said yes to the throne, but never said yes to the Lord. He said yes to the throne, but he never lived surrendered to God. He said yes to breakthrough and power and fame and riches. He said yes to the throne, the palace. He said yes to all of the activity that seemed to be associated with what God was doing. And again, last week we made the statement that God can use me and not have me. That he can use me and not have me. That just because I may be involved in what he's doing does not also mean that my heart has become subject to him. That my life is living out of the place of having been so deeply satisfied that I've been surrendered, that he has loved me into surrender, that my life is subject, that he rules, and he doesn't just rule theologically, not just geographically, but that he rules internally in my heart. And I've forfeited all other lovers and all other pursuits because he doesn't just have me in the sense of that he has me in his activity, but he has me internally, my heart has been conquered. It's been turned over. Um, David is saying nobody was looking for God's presence when Saul was king uh, because Saul would have never been able to establish something publicly that was not established in his own heart personally. Um, it's always going to be incredibly difficult to establish something publicly that you do not have established personally, privately, right? But David is a man that is very different because David's heart has been conquered. David's life has been turned over. David is undone. David has been ruined. And that ruining comes out of what he experienced in God's presence. And David is a man that has been satisfied deeply within and now he will not be satisfied until he can build what he knows it is that God is after. Right? We have this, this eruption, this cry, this longing that continually seems to be brewing on the inside of David and then coming out. And David says, now that I'm accountable, we have to go looking for the presence of God. And David goes looking for the presence and he brings the ark and he establishes it in the center of Jerusalem. Um, we're after something here. He establishes it in the center of of Jerusalem and everything is now to be built around God's presence being central. Everything is now to be known and experienced with God's presence being in the center of everything. Not just anything, but everything. Everything is to learn how to function out of a place of beholding and out of God's presence being the center of life itself. Everything else is to find its proper function 
out of God's presence being the main thing, right? This is the Psalm 27 cry, this one thing, because this one thing is the main thing. And if I can get the main thing, then every other thing will find its proper function. If I do not have the main thing, then none of these other things are going to have their bearings right. If I don't get the one thing, the main thing, then all of these other things will possibly bring compromise to what it is that my life is actively involved in. But because I want the main thing to affect every other thing, David says we have to get this right. We have to get this right. We have to get this right. And David launched a massive tent. And I know it's a, it's a 24 seven worship and prayer experience, a movement. David, David revolutionizes worship in the responsibility of his kingdom. David launches what is day and night, because in day and night, they are seeking to behold the Lord and to demonstrate the way that their lives have been completely undone by the way that God has made himself accessible to people. And out of this longing, this burning, out of this desire again to demonstrate the response of God's worth and the way that God's beauty and worth has completely unraveled them and brought them to this place where they are undone. Everything now lives in response to God's presence and the way that he has made himself available to man. And out of this response, they launch what is um, 24-7, worship and prayer. We're going for it. Again, because life is to be lived out of this beautiful place of beholding. And if God has made himself available to us, then we're gonna learn how to behold him. And we're gonna give him what it is that he deserves. We're going to give him and ascribe to him the worth in whatever way we can. And David says, from this point forward, everything is going to change. Everything is going to change. We are going to live out of beholding. And out of beholding, this worship and prayer, this life of beholding, Worship, prayer, praise, and intercession. We're going to live from this place of beholding the Lord. Because this is now what David's life is about. We have this this jealousy uh, in Psalm 132. I'll give my life no rest, no sleep to my eyes, until I build a place for God to abide until I build a place for the Lord to dwell. David longed to establish a dwelling place for God in the earth. David longed to establish a place of habitation, a place where God could abide, where he could dwell, where he could be in the midst of his people the way that he desired to. David saw something. God showed him something. And what David saw in God's desire He went after to build it in the earth the way that he knew God longed to have it. And this is what David knew that he was accountable to. 
He knew that there was a choice. He could build what he wanted, which is what he referenced in Saul's kingdom. He could build what he wanted, something that would satisfy the masses, something that would be in response to the fear of man, something that would fulfill all of the uncrucified longings that were alive on the inside. David knew that there was a lot of options as to how to go forward. There were a lot of options as to how he could make his moves now that he was responsible. David knew he could build something that he wanted or he could build something that God wanted. And this is the choice before us. Will we build what we want or will we build what we know he wants? Now what he wants might not satisfy the masses. What he wants may not be the next big thing on the block, but what he wants, David knew he understood. And David said, I'm going to give the rest of my life to build what I know it is that God wants. I'm going to give the rest of my days. Teach me to number my days. I'm going to give the rest of my days in response to what I know it is that God wants most. And I will give everything to see the establishing of a dwelling place for the Lord in the earth. I will give it all to build this place of abiding, a place where God can be and rest and dwell in the midst of us. David said, I won't rest until I have this. I will not rest until I have this. Because David was looking to build a place where not just he himself out of what he experienced personally. Again, David experienced something in the presence of God that ruined him and brought him under a divine subjection. Brought him into a beautiful place of surrender where his life was now being ruled by God as king and living out of a place of beholding him and this, this banner, if you would, of divine government, this canopy of God's divine leadership. David was now a man that was surrendered and subjected to God's desires because of what he experienced in the place of God's presence. And he was going to go after it forever. And out of what he experienced personally, he was now looking for and longing to see a people experience in a corporate reality what he had been overcome by in a private, personal way, according to his own experience and encounter. And David said, I'm going to go for it. I'm going to go for it forever. And I'm going to build something where God can rest. I'm going to build something where God can dwell. And David put the ark in the center of the city, in the center of what he was responsible for, right in the middle of it all, but not, not the middle of some priority chart, but it was central, meaning that it was central and out of presence, everything else would find their form and their function. 
Everything would find form and function out of this jealousy to have the presence of God central as a way of life. From this point forward, God's presence has to be central and nothing is off limits that cannot and will not be affected again by form and function by this jealousy to have God's presence. David said that's it. Everything from this point forward is going to find its form and function out of a jealousy to have God's presence be everything to us. Um, And God is doing this. God is raising up a people that have this jealousy. I have to have the presence of God. I have to have the presence of God. Not just in a way that we all theologically subscribe to, but in a way experientially. God is raising up people that are going after his presence, that are going after him and his presence, and that are no longer satisfied with all of the systems and all of the stuff that are void of the actual substance of God himself. He's raising up a people that are no longer satisfied with systems, hollow forms, all of the rigid ways of religiosity where we just have all of our hurdles and hoops, where we just know all of the things to do. God is no longer, he is no longer um, satisfying our hearts with these systems themselves without him actually filling in a real way if with substance our time together. Um, if I cannot have Jesus, then it's not worth it. If I cannot have him, then it's not worth it. And David was ruined and he put it in the middle of the city and he said, this is going to be it from here forward. He said, it has to happen. It has to happen. This has to be the main thing from this point forward to live our lives out of learning how to behold him in a greater way? Are you living your life out of a place of beholding the Lord? Are you living your life? Has everything about your life found its form and its function out of a place of knowing how to behold him for yourself? I'm not talking about how we learn to check off all the boxes. Well, because I stood in a specific building for an hour and a half on a particular day, that that means that everything that God's desire for me has been accomplished. I'm asking, do you know how to behold the Lord for yourself? And is everything about your life being affected out of this place of learning how to behold him? This is what David was saying. We have to learn how to behold him and how to behold him together. And David said, this is what matters. And he set up the ark. He set up the ark because he understood there's something that God is after. There's something that God is after. And I believe that this is what the Lord is doing in our day. That he is establishing companies that will behold him. That he's establishing companies and tribes and families and churches of people that will live by presence and that will learn 
how to live together in the place of presence out of this corporate beholding. This is what the Lord is doing. He is raising up people that will live by beholding. And that as we learn in greater ways together and more to come together to look at him, to behold him, to wait upon him, my soul waits in silence for God alone. These times of tarrying in God's presence, these times of waiting, these times of corporate beholding, where our own agenda is not our definition of success, where our order of service is not our definition of success, where what we consider to be an accomplishment is just not mechanically going through the different moves that we've determined are what we are going to be about, but where our lives individually and then corporately have been brought beautifully subject, where we have been brought together and we have together been undone in the place of God's presence and where now together as a people, we are being governed, we are being ruled by him and his presence, God is raising up people that will just simply come together for him. I've got to have him. I've got to have him because he is enough. I've got to have him. I've got to have him because this was the jealousy that David had personally, privately. And so it only made sense that when David became accountable publicly, that this was what he sought to establish. That this was what he was looking to build because it's what he had built in his own heart. And David said, this is going to be everything. Because as we read in Psalm 69, he understood because of you, I now bear this. It's all for you. I'm not doing this for myself. I'm not doing this to satisfy some worldly desire. But this is all for you. And I know what it is that you want. I know what it is that you're after. And this is for you. What I'm using my life to build is for you. What I'm using the effort, the energy, all of what you've made me accountable for, what I'm responsible for in the earth, all of this is for you. And David said, because of you, I now bear this. Um, I bear this and I've been broken by this. And I'm going after it. I'm going after it. And David put the ark in the center of the city because David longed to see a people come under the banner of God's rule and leadership. David knew what he was doing. For the Lord is enthroned in and upon the praises of his people. You always see throughout the scriptures that worship and government are associated one with the other. For he inhabits 
the praises of his people. He's enthroned in and upon the praises of his people. And David said, if we want to live under the banner of God's leadership, if we want to live as a people that have been subjected to God's rule, and now moving forward, our lives are going to be lived out of this beautiful place of God's government, his leadership. If we want to be a people that are ruled by God, then we have to go about it a particular way. And David said, we're going to put the presence in the center and we're going to make prayer and worship and waiting and praising and intercession and the public reading of the scriptures. We're going to make this a way of life where it's no longer just some event that happens for 60 minutes or 90 minutes or two hours on a Sunday, but we're going to go for it 24-7 because we're going to make it a way of life. And in this attempt, as we know how, we are going to demonstrate a response to God's worth and the way that he has made himself available to man. And this is going to be it from here forward. And David established a way of life. Um, and the Lord is raising up people that are going to establish a way of life to live under divine subjection. The Lord is raising up people that are going to give themselves to a way of life where presence is everything. And we will live under the banner of this divine rule where God is able to display himself where he is able to display himself and to demonstrate himself in the midst and to a people, cities and regions, because of the way we have set ourselves up in real life and as a way of life. Um, I could say it this way, uh, because I, I've, I've said it in, in weeks past, 60 minutes on a Sunday is no longer getting it done. Two hours on a Sunday is no longer getting it done. David didn't set the tent up and then create an event where everybody could rally around and watch him dance before the ark for two hours. But David established a way of life because he knew that in an ongoing way, there was something that God was after. And God was after pulling a people into his presence and then having them be so radically transformed out of what they were to experience in the place of his presence that everything about them, no thing about their life would be left unaffected, but that everything about them would be affected and everywhere that they would go, this way of life would be consistent. David understood that it was a way of life that God was after because what we see in the heavens is not an event, but it's eternally a way of life lived out of beholding and learning how to respond right out of what we are now given access to behold. Um, 60 minutes on a Sunday is not what God is after, but it's a way of life. And David said, we're going to put the presence in the middle of everything. Um, have you put the presence in the middle of everything? Have you put the presence in the middle of your own life? Right? Let's start with our own heart in our own life. 
Does everything in your life find its form and function out of God's presence being central? Or, like Saul, are we attempting to use God's presence and what we would consider to be priestly ministry in order to satisfy the agenda that we have? Right? This is actually the episode that we could say brought about the word of the Lord where Samuel declared to Saul, God is taking the kingdom from you. But why? Because Saul offered a sacrifice that he knew he wasn't supposed to. He was functioning in what looked like priestly ministry. And he offered a sacrifice that he wasn't supposed to. And when Samuel asked him why, what did Saul say? Saul said, because of the pressure from the people. I had to do something. And I responded to the pressure of the people. And I went in and offered the sacrifice. And here we have this this epic exchange, right? Where Samuel says, but you know that God desires obedience more or over sacrifice. And he says, Saul, God is tearing the kingdom from you today. And he's tearing it from you because he's found a man that's better than you to replace you. He's found a man that will live in a way that is after his own heart. But here we find a man who attempted to use priestly ministry to satisfy his own agenda. And this is what I'm asking. In your life, has the presence become central? Or are we attempting to satisfy our own agenda at times with different things that look like godly activity? This is where Saul was. Satisfying his own agenda and trying to at times use what he knew was right or what God was doing in order to fulfill the pressures and the places on the inside that he needed to be satisfied. Um, But David established a different way of life. And we are, we are after this way of life, living out of beholding, living out of the radical exchange that happens in our own hearts in the presence of God. We are after living in and out of this response to the beauty and the worth of Jesus. And David said, this is it from here forward. Um, You can have everything else. You can take all the other stuff. And this doesn't mean that David didn't have other responsibilities because he did and he fulfilled them. But all of those other responsibilities were informed and influenced by what was the main thing in David's heart and in David's life. And David personally 
pulled a people publicly, corporately into what was the main thing. Um, and this is what I believe, even as I'll, I'll read it one more time. Um, and, then, and then I'm just going to pray. This is in Psalm 69. He says, because for your sake, I have borne reproach. And dishonor has covered my face. For your sake, for your sake, um, I bear this. I don't have this, this burden because of me. I don't bear this jealousy simply because of others. But it's for your sake. It's for your sake. Um, we're going city by city as the Lord leads us, believing that God is going to, in a sweeping way over a handful of days, review, reveal the beauty and the worth of his son by the power of his spirit that will pull a people in a city and a region to respond to the beauty and the worth of his son appropriately. And then from that day forward, live forward under the banner of a divine government or leadership that they would be subjected to Jesus and Jesus as king. And then steward out of those days of gathering the right response to the beauty and worth of God's son that God would have a people that would, as a way of life, live under divine government, where God could rule in the midst of a people, where God could dwell in the midst, in the midst of a people, and where he would have a holy habitation, a living place of abiding in the midst of a people, in Ephesians 2 people, where our lives knit together, where as a way of life, God would have people and pockets of people and tribes and companies of people that would live under the banner as representatives, as ambassadors, as representatives and as ambassadors, where God would have these living habitations. And we're going for this city by city. We're going for this city by city. Um, and as a matter of fact, we're, we're going to be in Chicago in just a handful of weeks. We're 40 days right now fasting and praying, believing that God's going to radically align our lives with him and with his purposes. And this is all leading unto and into days of gathering in Chicago, where we're going to be in the Chicago land area. Um, there in Oak Brook, August 26th, 27th, and 28th. And we are believing for a sweeping move of God's spirit, for a powerful unveiling of the beauty and the worth of Jesus as king over those days of gathering that would sweep across a region and that would radically and powerfully transform people's lives as they respond to the beauty and the worth of Jesus and where they are undone together 
corporately, publicly over days together in God's presence. Again, where the presence is central and where we rally around presence together and are undone together in presence and it does something to us personally out of a corporate experience and where then moving forward we would learn how to steward our lives together and where God would press us together into this Ephesians 2 the knitting of our lives together as a living abiding corporate habitation under the divine banner the rule of God's government where this would be what we are after and we are coming for it. Um, we are coming for it. Um, we're coming for it over those days. Um, we're coming for it seven weeks after that in Milwaukee. We're coming for it in other cities as God continues to lead our team. Um, as God continues to speak to us for cities that we are to be present, for places that we are to go, for days of gathering that we are to set up these holy assemblies, these holy assemblies. And in Chicago, August 26, 27, and 28, we're coming to gather around the presence of God. We're coming to rally together in the presence of God, believing that what God does leading up and over those days would be so real, so powerful, and so transformative in the experience of it and the nature of it that God would have what he wants in those and out of those days, that God would have what he wants. And this is what we're coming for. August 26, 27, and 28, there are already hundreds of people that have registered for this. And so I'm asking you um, right now, if you have been considering it, Jump on and register. Burningones.org slash conference. Jump on and register. There's no cost. Um, th there's no cost. Uh, no cost to you, at least. Um, there's no cost. It costs our team tens of thousands of dollars to pull off these days of gatherings, to put them together. Tens of thousands of dollars to put these days of gatherings together. Um, but the Lord was very specific with us from day one. Do not charge. There is no fee associated with the registration. What does that mean? That means you don't have to pay to participate. You just have to register. You just have to get there. If you're close, you just have to drive over. If you're far, you just have to get a, 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 a flight. You just have to find accommodations and come and gather with us. But there is no fee or no a price tag necessarily associated with registration by itself. Um, but it costs us tens of thousands of dollars in order to pull this off. And we're believing God for it. Um, we're believing God for it. Uh, we just don't have um, those types of resources sitting around where we're trying to figure out what to do next, where we just have an abundance of resources. And hey, we just have to figure out something to do with all of what we have stockpiled. Uh, that may be the way that it is for others. And blur like, praise God for you guys. Um, but that's not the way that it is for us. And so we're believing God. Um, and if you want to help us, you can help us. Um, if you want to help us, you can help us.
Again, it's tens of thousands of dollars for our team to pull off these days of gathering. And we're believing that God is going to do it, and he's going to do it. Um, he's going to do it. Um, but you can register to join us. Burningones.org slash conference. You can register for Chicago. Seven weeks after that, we're going to be in Milwaukee. You can register for Milwaukee. They're both open right now. Um, and you can come and rally together with us in the presence of God and to believe that God would do something in us like he did for David, where we would be undone together in his presence and where coming out of that, we would live our lives subject to God. We would live surrendered under the banner of his divine leadership where he would have a people, yes, but a person, me, that would be willing to count the cost and live as an ambassador, to live as a representative of him as king and his agenda in my heart, in my home, in my city, in my region, in my nation, throughout the nations of the earth, where I would be radically aligned to him and his agenda, his purposes in this moment of history. This is what we have. We have now. And you are the only one that gets to determine what you do with the moment that's called now. And if you do not like, or if you are not satisfied with all of the consequences or the results of maybe what you have called wisdom up until this point, maybe, just maybe, like David said, it may have been that way for 40 years, but it's time to make a change. It may have been that way for 40 years, and that may be what you called wisdom in that season. But the consequences of that is something that we can no longer live with and bear. It's time to do things differently. It's time to give a different response. It's time for wisdom to build. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We pray that it has fanned into flame the love that you have for him. If you would like more information about Burning Ones, you can subscribe to our YouTube channel, follow us on social media, visit our website, burningones.org, or download our app.